up, guys? Welcome back to the quiet part loud. This is episode 146, but it may as well be episode one. We've been away for about nine months, and I'll get to some of the reasons why we've had a delay, but I was really keen to start things back up, to relaunch, because the whole point of this show has been to have a very honest and kind of borderless conversation with the audience about things that are going on, things that are affecting our lives. And at just around the time I was pulled away from the podcast, things started to escalate and got into a position where I felt this show was perfectly placed to comment on the situation, provide some clarity on certain situations, give a voice to those folks who may be feeling a certain way about the situations that we find ourselves in. And for a number of different reasons, I haven't been able to do it. But I thought it was imperative for my own sanity and for anybody that's enjoyed the show over the years that we've been doing it to relaunch and not with bells and whistles and, you know, fancy graphics and all of that. And, you know, you'll see that we've kept all of that in from the show previously, but it was more just about not being worried about what other people are going to say. I found myself overthinking the show. I found myself almost over-preparing for the show and trying to cover too many things in each episode. And what I want the show to be going forward is something that's really punchy, really concise, and really down, you know, down to the matters that are affecting us and, and that we want to comment on that we want to have an open conversation about. So with the relaunch of the show, we're going to be talking about a couple of kind of couple of key things today. One, we're going to be talking about the ongoing COVID scenario and how that's unfolding across the world. We're going to also talk about the situation that's unfolding in Afghanistan, which if any of you, any of you have been following the show, we've been commenting on these things on Twitter and you know, on Facebook a little bit, uh, but mainly it's just been tweets. And the, the fundamental problem with Twitter is that it doesn't allow conversation. It doesn't allow nuance. It doesn't allow perspective and context time. That's not how I do conversation. That's not how I like to make my point. So this is the forum that I've chosen to, you know, be the outlet for the conversation that I want to have and for the conversation that I want to have with you guys. So hopefully we can get back to that. And again, it's been nine months. So if I'm a bit rusty, bear with me. I'll pick it back up. But as we've always done, this show is unedited. It's uncut. It's unfiltered. And it's just, you know, straight from here and straight from here. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. So we'll see how it goes. But again, time passes very quickly. Life gets in the way. You know, certain things happen. And, you know, I won't go into all of the details. But, you know, time passed. And what's been happening over the past sort of month or so is I've been getting that itch and I've been getting that, that desire to get back on the mic, especially with the things that have been going on in, in the world and, you know, both local and, you know, more global. There's some things to talk about. There's some things to put people on blast for. There's, you know, there's accountability to be had. And, and I've said from the jump for anybody that's listened to the show for any amount of time, the main thing here is about accountability. I like to hold myself accountable. I like to hold others accountable. And this is me holding myself accountable because there's no excuses. I can give you all the reasons why I haven't recorded, but they're just excuses because if I 
what I should have been doing is making sure I had the time carved out so that I could come and do the show. And that's just a focus thing. That's a time management thing. And that's on me. So I'm the reason why the show hasn't been produced in the last eight to nine months. And I'm not going to let that happen again. Now, going back to why we launched the show and what we want to talk about today, I feel since sort of December of last year, when the election was happening and in America and all of the fallout of that, I mean, we missed the January 6th Capitol riots. We've missed the election, the inauguration, and all of these other things. We've ha- we, you know, we've missed a lot of the fallout with the developments with the COVID uh, situation and, and how that's all unfolded. So we've missed a lot of things that should have been commented on in a way that they just weren't covered. A lot of podcasts out here, they're covering these issues for sure. Um, you know, more and more podcasts are being produced every day and, you know, they, they pick up the news cycle and say, let me put my commentary on it. And we're not doing anything different there. I just think that what we're doing different is our approach to the conversation and how unfiltered the conversation is. And that's how I want to go about today, because we are in what can only be described as a, a complete shit show. We are in a cycle of chaos on a number of fronts that is really concerning to me. Obviously, the first is COVID. We've now been dealing with COVID for, what, the better part of two years, effectively. And we've migrated into this position now where our politicians and MPs and social justice commentators and and whatnot are steadily walking us towards this situation that we've seen before in history and that I don't feel very comfortable about. And what I'm talking about is mandating, mandating vaccines, mandating, you know, ultimatums effectively about what we can and what we cannot do unless we comply with what these politicians and these quote unquote medical experts are telling us. telling us that we need two vaccines to participate in work and employment. And you've seen this via Apple and Google and Facebook and others saying that we're going to require our employees to have two vaccines before they can return to work. We've had governments saying you're going to need two vaccines if you want to go on holiday or travel abroad to see your family and loved ones. Gone so far to say you're going to need mandatory vaccines to attend a sporting event, or as I said, go to work or go to a concert or whatever it may be. And the underlying issue here is the consequences that develop off of mandates. Because when you start to mandate people to do things, it's really about retaining control over them. If you remember back when COVID all started, this was two weeks to flatten the curve and then we'll be back to normal. But of course, when a government or a policymaker or somebody in power takes away a liberty and a freedom from you, and understand that you'll comply with it, the likelihood of you getting that back is slim to none. And we're seeing this. Look at Australia with a zero COVID policy, five cases, and they locked the whole country down. People are sick and tired of this. 
The tensions are bubbling, they're mounting, and we're walking ourselves towards a powder keg of irreversible chaos. Because the struggle here is people's rights versus government control. And as I said, once a government takes away power, they don't ever want to give it back. And that's why you hear things such as, we reserve the right to reimpose restrictions. Using a health crisis as the catalyst to do that, to keep us all under lock and key. You hear Canada and the prime minister, if you want, even want to call him that, Justin Trudeau, is one of the most disgraceful personalities I've ever seen. And I won't call him a leader because he's definitely not that. For me, he is a, he is a Marxist psychopath that is driving Canada towards a socialist hellscape of which it makes me really sad because I have family that live there and I'll never be going back to Canada. Not under the, under the circumstances they find themselves in now. I mean, if you look at the, at the airport in Toronto, they have an unvaccinated line and a vaccinated line for passengers entering the country. They've said, Justin Trudeau himself has said, if you don't want to get a vaccine, that's your choice and your prerogative. But don't expect to be able to get on a flight or get on a bus or get on a train so that you can impose your illness onto somebody else as if we're keeping tally of the real problems facing us from a health crisis perspective. Imagine how much fear would be imposed on people if you had a daily ticker on the news counting all of the deaths from heart disease or you know, obesity or smoking. We don't ban these things. We don't require any special circumstances for major health crisis that we've been facing for the past, well, almost in perpetuity, right? I mean, the biggest killer of people is heart disease. Well, how come processed foods aren't banned? Or how come we're allowed to smoke? How come cigarettes are readily available when they've been proven to kill people in the hundreds of thousands every year? This is not about our health. This is not about our safety because the politicians and the governments and the systems in place don't give a fuck about us. We are puppets in their playground, right? In their game, we're the pawns to move around and to do as they wish. Now, in my opinion, what this is leading us to is what the United Nations have already started to impose on their employees. And that is a digital record of everything you do. So in the UK, for instance, they're introducing the COVID passport. It's going to be an app that you're going to be required to show when you, you know, require entry to any public place, service, event, travel, whatever. It's going to have a connection to your medical records, and that will be all in one centralized place. Okay. Well, how far does this go? Because what they're talking about now 
is booster shots for COVID. Now we're talking about a disease that ravages people if they are vulnerable to obviously the symptoms that it causes. But the people that die from this disease, and I may have said it on a previous show, 99% of the people that die from this disease were already in terrible health or old and infirmed. Does that make their deaths acceptable? No, of course not. Does it make their deaths inevitable in a perhaps shorter period of time than, than they may have otherwise you know, succumbed to it? Maybe. But for the vast majority of people, the symptoms of COVID are mild at best. I mean, I think I've probably had COVID multiple times already. And I felt a little down and, you know, what have you. But the overwhelming problem here is them telling you what to do. And I always get a little bit skeptical when they start to incentivize taking medicine. There's got to be something a little bit peculiar about that to folks listening to the show right now. Offering you a hot dog or a ticket to a sporting event or some cash back, like it's a credit card reward scheme or a, you know, something like this. If you offer me money to take medicine, I want to know what your ulterior motives are for me taking this medicine. I also want to know why you're not talking about the broad scope of medicines available that have been proven now to have positive effects, not only as a prophylactic, but as a, you know, as a, uh, as a treatment for COVID. I'm talking about ivermectin and this podcast may not even get published just because I've said that word. You know, we were, we were only dealing with a few months ago, Brett Weinstein having a conversation about ivermectin and the studies you know, uh, that have been conducted around it. And for anybody that doesn't know what ivermectin is, it's, uh, it's an anti-parasitic medicine that's been distributed and, and given to humans f- for, what, the last 40-odd years with almost no consequences. It's a very safe medicine. It's a very cheap medicine. The problem here is that it's, it's not under the patent control, right? So nobody owns it. Because when something of a medicine is rolled out and has such efficacy over such a long period of time with such, with such little side effects, there comes a point where it's no longer, the patent's no longer owned by a company. Whereas with COVID vaccines, Pfizer owns the patent to the Pfizer vaccine, AstraZeneca, Moderna, Johnson and Johnson's, all those, their single treatment got recalled because it was, you know, damaging people. And uh, AstraZeneca got reduced to only people, you know, 40 and over because it was giving anybody under that age blood clots, which is, again, peculiar to me how it can affect somebody who is 40, but not 39 in such a dramatic way. So there's questions to be asked here. But the problem is, don't tell me what I can and can't do. You don't have that remit. Boris Johnson, Joe Biden, any other local MP, or any other celebrity we out we see out here mandating the use of vaccines or supporting the mandate of vaccines. Charlemagne the God, very prominent podcaster, radio host, 
has come out and whether he was joking or not, he made the statement to say everybody should now be made to be forced to have vaccines. Now, this is a really funny point to me because when I hear a black man in America saying the government should impose rules and restrictions on you via force if necessary, with the history of what's happened to the black community in America is strangely ironic because surely the historical context would show the problems in that statement. And anybody that is blind to history is destined to repeat it, right? Something like that is, is the saying. But celebrities should never be listened to for advice on medicine or policy, okay? They're entertainers. They have their own MO, their own goals. And they should never be looked at as a credible source of medical advice, as if I need to tell you that. But unfortunately, it needs to be said because we hear these psychopaths coming up with these outlandish opinions without a shred of historical context as to where this leads us. And that's my problem. As I said a minute ago with the United Nations, the United Nations are working on a digital passport. And you can Google this and go to the, you know, go to the UN and have a look at it yourself. There's a big video on it. They're they're quite proud of what they what they're rolling out here. But effectively, what it is, it's an employee digital wallet that will have your medical data, your travel data, your employment data, your financial data, all rolled into one. So they know where you've been, what you've bought, who you've worked for, you know, all of these things. And if they can do it at that level, it almost gives them the baseline to say, okay, well, now let's start to try to roll it out. And the digital wall, uh, the digital passport that we're seeing for COVID is step one. It's step one. Because what they ultimately want to do is they want to roll us towards an entire system of no privacy so that they can then make mandates about all kinds of things, or they can penalize you for any dissension to what these mandates might be. And if they have your social, if they have your history for medical, financial, and travel, and employment, and all of these other things rolled into one. And again, you can Google companies that are actively building these products now, then what we're doing is walking ourselves, if we comply with these things, walking ourselves towards a social scoring system. China's got one already. And despite what you might hear from the foreign media and governments and all of that, the Western governments and the Western administrations are very envious of this. They would love nothing more than to be able to drop your score down, which then restricts access to certain things or penalizes you for certain things or makes you lesser than those that comply and just follow the herd and sheep themselves along. They don't want you to push back. Now, full disclosure, I've had my first shot of the vaccine. I'm actually having my second shot tomorrow, but that's my own personal reasons. I'm doing that because I've made a choice to do that. Now, if I was single, and I didn't have a family and, you know, my wife didn't need to travel to Portugal to see her family and her mother who she's been separated from because of these ridiculous rules and rollouts by our government, 
I wouldn't be doing this. I'm a healthy individual to a degree. I, as I said before, I think I've had COVID already, probably on a, a couple of occasions, and I've been fine. So it doesn't worry me. It doesn't worry me. I follow the kind of, you know, safety protocols that I think are necessary, i.e. I wear a mask on the London Underground tube system because, I mean, it's a cesspool and a breeding ground for viruses. And, you know, a lot of the people that ride the tube are filthy animals anyways. You know, you see people picking their nose and wiping on the poles. I've seen people, which I think I've talked about on a podcast before, I've seen people clipping their toenails on the tube, for Christ's sakes. It's, uh, it's not clean. The air down there is putrid. And as a consequence of wearing a mask, whether the science backs this up or not, what I know is that I haven't been sick, properly sick, throughout this whole entire period. I haven't had the flu in two years. If I've had COVID, it's barely touched me. And that's something that I will continue to, get, to do going forward. Because every time I've gotten the flu in the past sort of, what, eight to 10 years, it's been almost certainly related to traveling on the London Underground or on a bus. And, you know, again, just being in that closed environment with people who, you know, who have hygiene that, you know, a pig would look at and say, you might want to check yourself there. And that's one of the things that's really come to me over the past few months whilst I haven't been recording this because there's been so many times where I'm like, oof, let me just jump on the mic and get my thoughts out about this. I have less confidence in people now than I did before the pandemic started. And that's saying something. We are more divided now. We are more prone to outbursts against others who might have one degree of separation in terms of, you know, something we disagree with amongst each other. We are so partisan and tribal. And this has just been exacerbated during the pandemic, in my opinion. The haves and the have-nots, the us versus them, the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. But make no mistake about it. This is exactly what they want. Boris Johnson, when Dominic Cummings, his little weasel of an advisor who turned into a snitch, said as much, showed us as much, that Boris Johnson doesn't want the situation resolved because he likes the chaos. Because when people are in chaos, they're confused. And when they're confused, they rely on Big Brother, somebody to give them the guiding light to say, we'll show you the way out of this mess. But they won't. They'll plop you straight down in a hedge maze and leave you to sit there wondering where the exit is, where the finish line is, how to untangle this web of confusion and worry and trepidation and fear. But they like that because whilst you're spending your time doing that, you're not spending your time criticizing them. It's quite as simple as that. So for me, with the vaccines, it has to remain a personal choice. Because if it doesn't remain a personal choice, we are walking ourselves towards something that we've seen over and over again in history that has terrible, terrible consequences. When you subjugate a population to do 
your will. And I say your will as a, as a government's will, right? You will get revolution. You will get division. You will get mistrust. And you will get a society that one doesn't trust you as a, you know, leading administration, but you'll get, you'll get a society that doesn't trust each other and starts to mistrust itself. And this, this, what do you want to call it? Degradation of, of mental health. I mean, it's widespread. We're not going to feel the consequences of this for a number of years. But what concerns me is what they've done to the kids in the schools. I saw a picture the other day of some school in America where it was band practice. And they had all these kids in these tents with these masks on. Do you understand what this is doing to people from a socialization, to kids from a socialization perspective? It's devastating. It's devastating. They're growing up now scared, worried to interact with each other. It's not good. They've been pulled out of school for how many months? They've got a gap in their learning. Not that the school curriculum is, you know, anything to hold up and be proud of because that's a mess, you know, in and of itself. But the way that they're chipping and cutting down the mental health and the foundation of, of, of our children is disgraceful. But again, it's intentional. It's intentional. There's not been one clear line of policy through this whole entire pandemic, at least from the British government. Other governments around the world maybe have a different opinion on this, but I highly doubt it. I remember December last year, we were given respite from all the COVID restrictions. Whilst numbers were going up, whilst we were in flu season and winter, they said, go ahead and mix and mingle just before schools were about to go back the day before they said nah we're pulling that back stay at home what do you think this is doing to people well you know what it's doing to people you've probably lived through it i hope you've dealt with it better than some it hit me the second time they locked us down it started to really affect me first lockdown i was on point working out every day even when they shut the gyms down, working out every day, doing some backyard activities and, you know, just trying to stay active. They got to a point where I started to feel exhausted, started to feel beaten down. And it took me about a month to kind of shake that off and realize what was going on. It was being imposed on me. This, this fragility that we started to develop because we'd been locked indoors and scared to touch each other and scared to come close to each other or interact or make physical contact with each other. We're social people, folks. If we don't have that, we wither. It's like a baby, right? A baby needs contact at birth or it will die. Not from any disease, from lack of contact. There's a name for it. Can't remember it right now, but you know what I'm talking about. If you don't give a baby love, it will die. And what are we? We're just grown up babies right? We still need love. We still need attention. We still need interaction, community, you know, a feeling of belonging. We need all of these things. And they ripped it from us because of their own incompetency, because they weren't prepared, because they never intended to be prepared. 
They did nothing to fix the problem. And I'm grateful that they've brought a vaccine out that has some efficacy, but we don't know what the efficacy of these vaccines are. What we do know for sure is that they don't stop you getting COVID and they don't stop you passing it on. All they do is stop you from dying from it. But we revert back to the statistics about who's dying from it. So what's the point here? I revert back to what I said before. It's about control. It's about control. They don't want citizens to be free. They are envious of China. They have run a social experiment based on a health crisis. It has been successful because if you look at the adoption numbers of the COVID vaccine, and you know I'm in that group, admittedly, something like 90% of the adult population is now vaccinated in the UK, or maybe it's not that high. Maybe it's 85% or something like that, but it's growing. It's growing, right? So they said, okay, well, we can make people get a shot. <laughs> they not, they're not going to do their diligence. They're not going to do any research. We're not going to make the research available. They're going to listen to us in our stupid charts that we bring up on these news briefings. And we don't have to answer any questions except the stupid questions that the mainstream media are asking, which covers nothing and accomplishes nothing. And that's another point we might cover in this show. But they know now that they can do this to us. So what's the next step? Well, the next step is a winter lockdown, I think. I think by October, they're going to be talking about locking us down again. For our own protection, by the way, because they're, they're, they're our caretakers and they care about what, you know, what happens to us, right? Which is why they didn't lock the borders down and stop flights coming in for the first, what, seven months of this crisis? They were letting hundreds of thousands of people onto this island every single day that we're just spreading this virus, spreading this virus. And then we get the variants, right? It's the Kent variant and the South African variant and the Delta variant and the you know, Brazilian variant and all of these things. Like, get the fuck out of here. Who do you think you're talking to with these stupid sound bites? They don't care about us. They want to use us for what they're trying to accomplish, which is power and control. This is it. So, What are we to do? What are we to do? Well, I think we're basically supposed to do what we want to do. That's sort of the idea of being a free person in a free society, right? And we're supposed to push back on things that we don't agree with, or we feel are an infringement on our rights. One of the most disgusting things I've heard throughout this whole entire pandemic is what the UK government called Freedom Day. When they said that they would be giving us our freedoms back. Be careful. Be careful of this kind of verbiage. They know they've got you right where they want you. They know they can do whatever they like and you're not going to do anything. And all we do is have to look historically, right? In the recent past. Because it was only a few months since the UK government and Boris Johnson, out of his own mouth, was saying, absolutely not. We are not considering vaccine passports or mandating the vaccine for our citizens. He said it. Go and look at, go and look at Google. Go and YouTube it. And now they're offering incentives and making threats that 
businesses might not be able to operate if they don't require vaccine passports upon entry. And what did I say? If you go back and you listen to, what was it? Probably episode 144, if I remember correctly. That episode's called, I think it's called COVID, cryptocurrency and COVID vaccines or something like that. But if you go back and look at that, I said, this is what they're going to do. I said, they're not going to tell you that they're mandating it, although there's been little bits of that. What they're going to do is make businesses do it. So if you want to partake in society as a normal person, they will put the pressure on businesses to make it mandatory. As a part, you know, it's no shoes, no shirt, no jab, right? And the alliteration there obviously doesn't work, but couldn't think of anything with an S. Um, syringe, maybe no shoes, no service, no syringe, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. So it's, you need a passport with your vaccine documentation to be able to take a flight, right? You're going to need it for concerts and, you know, going to restaurants and things like that. Now they've laxed that in the UK to a degree, but let them lock us down again and see what they do next time, because it's push, push our policies. Let's see what resistance we get from it. Bring it back a couple of steps. Let people get used to it and then push further and then let people get mad and push a little bit, you know, let them push back. And then we push a little bit further. And it's, it's that kind of mentality that they have when they're instilling policies that they know are corrupt, that they know are restrictive and that they have no basis in, you know, any sort of fairness or equality for the people that they're being imposed on. It's two steps forward, one step back. Because if you take two steps forward and one step back, you're always making progress to get to your goal. And their goal is this build back better scenario that they're trying to put us in. This place where they pump so much money into the economy that our fiat currency is worth nothing. And then they can start to talk about ushering in things like universal basic income, and they'll start with the seniors like they did with the vaccine, and then they'll roll it down to everybody else. And once you've got that critical mass, everybody's on board, or certain people don't get to participate. And that's where you are now. You've got so many people that have taken the vaccine because they've been scared about either their health or their ability to live a normal life that they've complied with the government regulations. And that's step one right? We're going to, we're thinking about COVID passports. The fuck you are. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. We're not thinking about COVID passports. Oh, here's the COVID passports. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's so transparent. It's so obvious what they're doing that it's almost laughable. And like I said, I've taken the vaccine for my own reasons, but I would never, I would never begrudge somebody who didn't want to take it because I was on the fence for many, many months about whether I would do this or not. And even up until a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I don't know if I need that or want that second jab. But the truth of the matter is, I'm going to need to have it in order to travel. So is that the hill I'm willing to die on? No, but it also gave me the impetus to come back on and start talking about the bullshit that they're trying to push on us. Because this is, this is, this is fascism. <laughs> you can't make people do things just because you're telling them to do things. That's not how democracies work. That's not how 
a a government that's elected by its citizens operates. That's not how this works. So I don't know what the end of this story is. I don't know what the end of this point or this diatribe is. I, I don't know. All I want to do is kind of put my point out there to say, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Just like if you want to smoke with an almost certainty that you're going to get some health problems from that, do it. If you want to drive without your seatbelt on, do it. And people will say, well, that's fine, but that affects you and you alone. This could affect other people. Yeah, like 0.1% of the population. And under those circumstances and under those statistics, why are we not banning some of these other things? You can go to the shop right now, get a bottle of vodka that's this big, chug it, and try to kill yourself. And if it doesn't kill you, you can do the same thing tomorrow. And if that doesn't kill you, you can repeat that process until it does work. It's the same with cigarettes, right? It's the same with all of these other things that we allow people to do. We have an obesity crisis in the world, yet we're not banning sugar or processed foods. We're not telling people, hey, I've seen you in here, you know, and you've been buying way too much chocolate, way too many chips, and way too much salt. We're not banning it, right? And we're not putting any restrictions in place to curb people's behavior because of real health crises. And if we want to dig a little deeper into this, we can go down that rabbit hole of this pandemic being manufactured. But I don't want to put the tinfoil hat on, you know, all the way just yet. I just want to stick to some recaps of kind of how I'm feeling about this scenario. This is compliancy and control. And whenever the goal is compliancy and control, we're on a slippery slope that we need to get off of immediately. So make the decision for yourself. If you think that you're at risk because you're fat and out of shape or you've got some underlying conditions, you've got diabetes or high cholesterol or you know whatever it may be, whatever it may be. There's a number of reasons that an underlying condition could make COVID way worse. Just like underlying conditions can make a cold worse, you know, just like underlying conditions can make everything worse. But one of the things I haven't heard during this entire debate is the positive effects, the positive effects of vitamin supplementation and exercise. And we talked about this before I even took the break from the show. Nobody's saying how effective vitamin D supplementation is against COVID or zinc and magnesium and a regular regimen of vitamins and healthy eating and exercise, you know, a healthy lifestyle. Nobody's talking about the importance of that. We're still happy for everybody to be a bunch of fat, lazy fucks as long as they comply with going to some random medical center, some pharmacy, some stadium, and getting a jab in your arm just because they've incentivized you with a hamburger. I mean, get the fuck out of here with this nonsense. It's insane. It's insane. So if anybody comes to me and asks me to take a booster shot, or if any government tries to mandate that, I'm out. 
I don't care what restrictions you put on me. I'm never, after Saturday, I'm never putting another medicine related to COVID-19 in my body ever again. We don't know what the long-term consequences of these vaccines are. We have no data to support it being good, bad, or completely indifferent to our health in the long term, other than being you know, effective at stopping death. If this was such a problem, they need to be working on a vaccine that makes it uncontractable. But they're not going to be able to do that because it's a flu. And it's going to mutate. It's going to mutate. It's going to mutate. It's going to mutate. So the truth of the matter is we are going to have to live with COVID probably now for, you know, until forever. So are you prepared to be taken down this rabbit hole of constantly being told you need another COVID booster shot or you can't go to the shop? You need another COVID booster shot or you can't attend a theater or the cinema or you can't get on an airplane unless you've had your up-to-date COVID booster shots. If they roll down that road, they can go fuck themselves. I'm telling you straight up, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I have... I've stayed, I've stayed my ass, I've stayed my ass in the house. I've worn a mask everywhere they've asked me to. I was even wearing fucking latex gloves at the beginning of this thing because they told us you could catch it from surfaces, even though it was a respiratory virus. They're fucking mental. They're making it up as they go, right? The statistics can be twisted and changed to tell you whatever they want to tell you. But look at them yourself. Do some due diligence yourself. Have some critical thinking ability yourself and try to determine what's actually going on here. Because for me, it's straightforward, even though it's taken me, you know, whatever, 30 minutes to talk about this, but hey, I'm getting back into it. So uh, apologies. <clears throat> the point is, if they come to me and ask me to do anything else related to COVID, that's going to infringe upon my ability to move freely or you know, interact with people or just go about my life in some normal way, forget it. It's over. It's over. I'm not doing it anymore. They don't know what they're doing. They don't care. It's us versus them. It's always been that way. They've wanted and exacerbated this, right? I mean, look at the Euros. Just look at the Euros, right? The final of the Euros was held in Wembley in the UK. They said anybody traveling to that game from outside of the UK would have to quarantine for 10 days. But they let the UEFA Council and committee members travel in on the same day. Right? You see these government ministers going on holiday. And it just so happens, just before their holiday break comes out, they release this traffic light system of countries of where you can go and where you can't go. And they all managed to go to their old destinations, right? They were all in Portugal, getting their son. They come back and do their news briefing about what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do while they've all got their stupid fucking red faces because they haven't been exposed to any vitamin D for the last 18 months. So they've all gone over there, gotten sunburned, had a bit of a jolly, come back and told us what we can and can't do, where we can and can't go, what their plans are and are not for us going forward. And it's enough. It's enough now. I see through it and I'm not doing it. I take you two vaccines to be able to live my life as you, as you laid out, right? Any more than that, I'm done. I'm done. And I suggest you take this decision upon yourself to do what's best for you and your family, but don't do it because this government or any other is telling you you have to. Because once they start going down that route, they're taking away the word democracy and replacing it with dictatorship. They are mandating 
is dictating, right? That's what it is. So be aware of what's going on. Do your research about what's going on. Have some critical opinions. Don't just don't just switch on BBC or MSNBC or Fox News or whatever, right? I mean, Fox News, or who's that? Was it Fox or was it CNN? One of these fucking companies have come out and said, I think it was CNN. Ivermectin, right, which is one of the safest drugs ever produced for human consumption. They said that this is basically for cattle. And if you take this, you're effectively ingesting a medicine that was designed only to be given to cows or horses or something like that. I mean, I barely listen to these fucking idiots anymore. But the point is, there are millions of people out there that will hear this and say, oh, well, as soon as I hear ivermectin, I know that's bad now because CNN told me it was or Fox told me it was or MSNBC or, or the BBC told me it was. But the problem is, it's a one-way conversation. They're spoon-feeding you things because they know your political persuasion will make it much easier to digest the bullshit that they're feeding you and this is what's sowing this constant division and animosity and the fact that family members can't even sit down to a meal in a lot of households because they're politically aligned to different parties it's crazy to me it's crazy to me but that this is what they want this is what they want to do so on COVID, I think since we've last been around, COVID has turned into one of the biggest shit shows I've ever seen. It has sown a level of distrust in the government and the media that I've, I've, I don't think I've ever seen, which is a good thing because people are questioning more and more and more, and that's great. But there's still so many sheep out there. There's still so many sheep out there that are just willing to do what they're told. And that's what they're counting on. So if you're one of those people, I would just, I would just warn you to give pause to the information that you're receiving and maybe think a little bit more critically about it. It might just do you some good. It might just be a light bulb moment. You might just find some contradictions and some uh, inconsistencies in what they're telling you. And I don't know about you, but for me, once trust is broken, it's gone. You don't get that back. So I guess the choice is yours. I think the next thing that we should cover is uh, Afghanistan. Because, you know, rolling from one shit show to another, to another uh, has never been so easy. I mean... This is, this is tough, man, because it's a hard place to start, right? Because I want to, I just want to lay into those people that have, that have just, they've been the never Trumpers, right? This is what they were called before. Anything but him is fine and we'll roll with it because it's better than that. Okay. Well, tell me how it's better than that right now. Because we are staring down the barrel of a massacre of our own people, of Brits and folks from around the UK and Americans and others and others because of what a senile old man was told to do by somebody 
or some other people who are actually controlling the U.S. government at the moment. You probably say, okay, Daryl, here we go. Tim Foyle hat on, who's controlling the government? Can you honestly tell me that Joe Biden is a competent person, mentally competent? Do you think he has his faculties about him? He can barely string a sentence together. And when challenged on any point that he's been told to say, instead of refuting it, instead of being the tactical politician that he has been trained for the last 50 years to be, he gets mad. He gets mad like an old person who's going senile gets mad when they get frustrated because they can't find the words and they can't articulate what they're trying to do. And they can't, you know, they can't form an argument cohesively to rebut what is being, what they're being challenged on. So anybody who pays any attention to foreign policy, to what's happening in the Middle East, could have seen that if you did a hasty withdrawal from that country, it would be overrun almost immediately by the terrorist organizations that, you know, populate the, the surrounding regions that were in hiding in Afghanistan, so on and so forth. Anybody could have seen that. I'm not a military expert. I'm not a foreign policy expert, but I knew that if American soldiers left, British soldiers left, and, and allied forces, let's call them that, troops left. Well, what did you think was going to happen? Did you think the Afghan government, this puppet government, was going to stand up and fight these terrorist organiz organizations all by themselves? I mean, to say they didn't put up, up a fight is actually to give them credit to a degree. I mean, they basically handed everything over. It wasn't even like they said, we're not fighting. They said, hey, we're not fighting. Do you want our stuff? Hundreds of millions of dollars worth of military equipment and firearms just now in the hands of the Taliban. And people are like, Taliban? I thought we got rid of them. No, you never get rid of them. This is the point. We've been fighting ISIS, quote unquote, fighting ISIS, which was a creation of the CIA for the last however many years in Afghanistan. And we decimated them, right? As Donald Trump said, we, 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 we've completely wiped them out. Well, you haven't first, right? But do you think just because a, 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 an insurgency like the ISIS, like ISIS, you know, came along, that just meant that the Taliban became ISIS or just said, okay, guys, well, they've got it now. We, we don't, we don't, we don't need to do anything anymore. No. They say bin Laden's son is one of the leaders of the Taliban and has been groomed and prepared and trained over the last 10 years or so, maybe 12, uh, to take the helm of the Taliban because they knew when ISIS went down, the Taliban would replace it and they would come back and they would be more refined with their PR and their marketing and their, you know, social media and, and their, and their tactics, you know, their outward facing uh, policy. And it worked. It worked. They came back and all of a sudden you've got people like the British, who was it? The, the ex British general or current British general. He was on the BBC saying, you know what? We need to be patient with the Taliban. We need to see what they're about now. Like, like they've been on vacation 
or they've been at a wellness retreat for the past 10, 12 years, and they've come out completely reformed and, and completely changed in terms of their, you know, want for destruction for anybody that is what they call an apostate or, you know, somebody who doesn't align with their version of Islamic scripture. Like they've been reformed and like all of a sudden they'd be a little bit more, uh, what do you want to say? A little bit more accommodating to folks who didn't agree with them. We've got a general, someone who is a top ranking military personnel in the British armed services saying we need to give the Taliban a chance. We have all kinds of military and media experts saying we need to give these guys a chance. You've got some minister in Canada calling the Taliban our brothers, she said in a press conference the other day. I mean, what are we talking about here? A reformed Taliban? Isn't that like a giant midget? That's like an oxymoron, right? A reformed Taliban. They operate under Sharia law. They are not interested in raising the uh, liberties of women and girls. They are not interested in allowing anybody that disagrees with them to occupy their space, their country, their communities, because these people are the devil. If you are not in line with the Taliban's version of the interpretation of Sharia law, your only option is death. That's it. Don't tell me there are moderate Taliban. <laughs> Don't tell me there are, you know, Taliban who are less evil, you know? How can you possibly say that as a quote-unquote expert? We need to wait and see. We need to give them the benefit of the doubt. Our brothers, these people, they should be fired for gross misconduct, if not more. Severe penalties levied against them for their absolute incompetence and the danger that they're putting their citizens in. So as for the, you know, situation on the ground, well, that's just, that's just dire. We're seeing Kabul airport with 20,000 civilians in it trying to get out. We're, we're seeing folks having planes blocked that they've arranged on themselves, that they've arranged themselves to get them, their family and their staff in some instances evacuated. Yet we're seeing pictures of planes leaving Kabul with cars on them. I saw a picture the other day, <clears throat> the Fuchsia Lodge was, you know, lined with people on either side. And then the middle was like an SUV. And I'm thinking to myself, how the fuck does an SUV get on a plane? And the justification was there were free spaces available. So we parked a car there. Are you fucking kidding me? There's 20,000 people on the ground. There's British nationals on the ground. There's American nationals on the ground and others. There's aid workers on the ground, NGO employees on the ground. And you make space for a fucking Escalade? over people are we not seeing what the problem is here they came out less than a week after they announced the withdrawal and said undoubtedly people will be left behind so 
our citizens, our neighbors, our family, our colleagues are being left for cannon fodder. For cannon fodder. And what do we get out of our leaders? This is Trump's fault. It ain't our fault. What are we supposed to do? Biden comes out and says, what are we supposed to do? This wasn't my decision. I'm just staying consistent with the policy. You mean Trump's policy, of which you've reversed almost all of them since coming into office? You've got no problem writing executive orders for, you know, funding or infrastructure or whatever else has been fucking passed over there that's just a, a Ponzi scheme for, you know, these politicians to funnel money into their friends' hands. You couldn't reverse the decision to extend the deadline of withdrawal and put more troops on the ground to ensure the safe evacuation of every single citizen and every single person that is an Afghan national that has collaborated with you over the 20 years you've been effectively an imperialistic force in that country. Now you're ready to just cut and run and leave anybody that can't fend for themselves just in the hands of this reformed Taliban. Run for the borders, they said. Now, run for the borders. Do not go to the airport is their advice. France has stopped flights, evacuating citizens. The Netherlands has stopped. And a number of other countries have stopped their evacuation plans. And we're currently on the 27th of August. The deadline is the 31st. The Taliban have said, after the 31st, we are not letting anybody out. No Afghans are going out. No Americans are going out. No troops are going out. So that means Sunday's effectively the last day, because that'll be the 29th. Because you can't be there on the 31st. You've got to have everything wrapped up by the 31st. And as could have easily been predicted, two days ago, they started bombing the place. Not the Taliban, of course. Now we've got ISIS-K. ISIS-K? What the fuck are you talking about, ISIS-K? It's not the Taliban that are doing this. It's ISIS-K. Oh, so the, the group that you eradicated now has a splinter cell that is able to dominate strategically the Taliban to put car bombs and suicide bombers into the airport that's being controlled by the Taliban and by a limited number of U.S. service officers. This is a fucking joke, okay? What's really going on here? What's really going on here? Well, my opinion, my opinion is this. My opinion is Joe Biden is a puppet president. He is not in control of that administration. He doesn't have the faculties to be in control of that administration. He is being controlled by whoever is got the strings behind the scenes, whether that's the Defense Department or the military or special interest groups. I don't know specifically, but what I do know is that they are trying to march America towards socialism. Undoubtedly, this has been a, a cancer that's been injected into the educational system in America for the last 40 years. And 
there are videos that you can go and check out. I can't remember the guy's name right now, but he was talking about how you basically change the face of a, a of a country and of, of a society and how you corrupt them and manipulate them for your own kind of control and walking them into sort of, you know, what, what could only be considered Marxism. So the way I feel about this situation is this. They've got real problems on their hands in America. People are starting to push back on this woke bullshit. They know it's not going to work. So let's have a look at what we can do. Okay, so we've got this thing that is a problem way over there. Okay, the Middle East. Okay, well, it's pretty much done, right? We've, we've pretty much solved the problem. But America doesn't do too well operating without some sort of impending danger or some war or, you know, something like that. So what I think is going on is the following. I think they're trying to prepare for Joe Biden to be removed from office. I think Joe Biden is wholly incompetent. He is completely unfit and unable to uh, conduct the responsibilities of the office of the president. He can barely string a, a sentence or a thought together without stuttering or, you know, clamoring or, or, or just pausing blankly and staring into space for a minute. <clears throat> so at some point in time, they're going to have to remove him because he's either going to die or he's going to become so incapacitated that you won't be able to put him in public anymore. And then what do we do? Okay, well, we've got to do that before the term comes up because there's no way Joe Biden is winning an election against Donald Trump. If Donald Trump deserves, uh, uh, chooses to run and survives long enough to run in the next election, you can't fake it anymore. You got one bullshit election through. I don't think America is going to let you get another one through. Okay. So we know Biden can't beat Trump and the Democrats as a whole stand a pretty slim chance of winning the next federal election because of how badly things have been handled since they took over on what was effectively a fraudulent election, right? And that, again, could probably get this podcast taken down. So, okay, so what do we got to do? Well, we got to get Kamala in there because Kamala takes a couple of boxes, right? First female president, first black president, first black female president, or Indian, if you want to lay on her Indian roots or whatever, right? There is no way in hell Kamala Harris would win a presidential election. She could never win a federal election. She couldn't even win the nomination for her own party. Remember when they were going through the primaries, how she was, she ended up getting like 1% of the vote of her own party, right? So there's no way on a federal stage, on a, on a national stage, she could win a federal election. Impossible. She's incompetent. She's a fucking, she's, an, she's a pig for sure. Like her policies and her history and her career is disgusting. And again, go ahead and look, do the research for yourself. Not a teacher, just an orator, just somebody who's giving my opinions and my thoughts on things. The information is out there. What I'm telling you What I'm telling you is there are ulterior motives at play. So they, the Democrats don't want to lose the election. They don't want to lose the election. 
and they know inevitably that they will. So how can they stop that from happening? Well, one, you put somebody who can at least form a sentence and ticks a whole bunch of diversity boxes, right? For this woke societal implosion that's happening in America. So you put her in place. So 25th Amendment Biden, get her in, right? Then, or this is actually happening the other way around, but we'll see how the timeline works out in, in, in the course of history. But what's going to happen now is because the bombs are going off already in Kabul and in Afghanistan, what you're going to do is you're going to give the American military a carte blanche ability to go back in there and start fucking up the country again, right? No doubt about it, America's army is going back into Afghanistan, especially now the bomb yesterday that's ended up, they said, <laughs> we're, again, we're taking Taliban um, information as, as like accurate, right? So brilliant. They said 13 people were injured, no fatalities. Turns out 60 people are dead and there's like 600 people that are injured in that suicide bomb, that car bomb that went off at the airport yesterday. Some of them are US military. Okay, cool. So now it's not the Taliban you have to go after, it's ISIS-K. But inevitably, they are going to restart this war, 100%. And if they do that, and then as a consequence of Biden being incompetent and being removed from office and they put Kamala in, the chances of America changing political parties in the middle of a war is slim to none. And that's how they'll get it in. So <clears throat> once they've done that, people will be focused on the war. People will be less focused on policymaking, less focused on the indoctrination right? And the things that are happening, because it's like, there's this impending doom over here that has to have all of our focus. And we can't focus on two issues at the same time. So this is for keeping the military industrial complex rolling, because it's the biggest profit making machine that the world has ever known. And America is in number one pole position to scoop up all that revenue. So get the incompetent out, get the geriatric out of the way, put a diversity play in there who couldn't win an election if it was just her and a sandbox, right? She'd literally lose to this cup, right? On merit, yet they can usher her in. They can usher her in via the 25th Amendment if they do it before the election. And if they do that, she'll be the biggest warmongering president you've ever seen in your life because she's going to have to stand on something, because right now she stands for absolutely nothing. This is corruption at the highest level, in my opinion, and they are using their own citizens to facilitate it. They claim to be, you know, a party for the people and to care about society and to, you know, they care about equality and equity and all of these horrible, horrible ideas that they come out with on a, on a regular basis. But it's just to get their own end away. They're just about profit. They're just about power. They're just about putting themselves in a position to do things. To do things. I mean, there's no better word for it than nepotism, right? I mean, th this is what they're doing. It's how can I do something that lets me then feed money to the people who have, you know, who, who have funded my campaigns and supported me so that when I'm out of office, I can roll back into the private sector. And the revolving door of politics and corruption continues. That's all this is. People say, but, but yeah, but this was Trump's deadline. Trump, Trump did this. Yeah, he did. <clears throat> he did mention it for sure. He did bring it up. He did put that kind of, you know, 
that that date in place. But again, Biden could have vetoed it. Biden could have said, fuck that. We're not ready to come out now. But he didn't want to, you see. He didn't want to. And the difference between Trump and Biden is that when Trump said something, and again, I'm not defending Trump because I think Trump is a scumbag. But remember when people used to try to stand up and be tough with America? And he just said, okay, well, North Korea, if you want to start fucking around with bombs, I'm going to turn your country into a crater. And all of a sudden, he's over there shaking hands with the guy, right? He killed Baghdadi, right? They, they got Baghdadi done. You know, they, he, whenever one of these groups or some quote-unquote tough guy tried to stand up, he would sit them back down and put them in their place. The difference now is you've got a puppet president who can barely do a three-minute press conference without stumbling over his words and forgetting where he is. The whole world's laughing at America now. And as a consequence of Britain and the UK being in America's back pocket historically and not being able to make any decisions autonomously about what they do from a foreign policy perspective in terms of this particular conflict, the UK is being laughed at as well. And China's just sitting there like, yeah, keep going with your four-year plans, fucking retards, right? China's over there with a hundred-year plan, and we're over here arguing about pronouns and a quality of outcome. Like, that fucking matters, you know? It's, it's disgraceful what's going on, but I think the reason that we're seeing this now and the reason why Biden was so reluctant to change the date was because they want this to happen. They want another Middle East conflict. They want death and destruction and terror attacks because it fuels a military-industrial complex. It gives them a position where they can potentially have the country gripped with fear, both over COVID and the war and terrorist attacks and whatever other you know, chaos they swirl into the mix that hopefully that won't get them elected out of office. But I'm telling you what, if Trump comes back and he runs, he's going to win in a fucking landslide. I think even somebody like Ron DeSantis could probably turn around and win and beat anybody on the Democratic side. The only way these cowards can win is if they put us back into a state of shock and fear. They're doing it via COVID, right? reintroducing mask mandates and things like that telling biden doing a press conference saying that he encourages all businesses to mandate vaccines what were we just talking about it's control it's compliance it's access to being able to provide for your family to live a normal life to have some level of autonomy that they will say you can have that if you can have that if you do what we say we do what you're told then you can get some of your freedoms back until we decide to take them away again. They don't care about you. They don't care about your health, financially, physiologically, psychologically. They don't care about any of this. They want control. They want compliancy. That's it. Because once they've got that, they don't need to scare you anymore. They can just turn the dials right? Because then everything is already in their control and you can't fight it. Tell me something that you can affect right now. 
what can you affect right now by going to your local politician, your MP or your senator or your congressman? What can you affect? What can you actually get done? And I mean material change. What can you actually get done? Because we push back against COVID passports and they've done it anyways. We push back against track and trace and they've done it anyways. Travel restrictions, done it anyways. Masks for children in schools, done it anyways. They are hell bent on fucking with you as much as possible until you break. And what they're hoping for is that the break that happens within you will create subservience. Subjugation is their, is their aim here, right? That's the goal here. They're not worried about what's best for you. They're worried about what's best for them. And I'll give you a very local example. I live in Southeast London. The council that runs the borough that I live in are one of the most corrupt councils that I've experienced. And again, a few years ago, I couldn't care less about local politics. But as you get a little bit older, you understand the importance of this and how this is a cancer at the lowest level of government, but how it permeates itself up and through all aspects of government. My council are creating, well, there, there's, a, there's a wider initiative for this. They're called LTNs, low traffic networks, uh, low traffic neighborhoods. And effectively what they're doing is they're putting up restrictive uh, barriers and cameras that will stop citizens driving down certain roads. And what that does, and they frame this as rat running, Okay, it's like, I've got to get to here, and the main road takes me this way, but there's some smaller roads that would actually take me there, and they get me there a bit quicker, right? That's a rat run. So they've guised this, they've, they've, they've put this out there as under the guise of controlling this dangerous traffic that's going through these neighborhoods. But if you actually look at the maps, what they're doing is they're protecting the highest earning voters in their boroughs. Because if they can do that, then they don't need the rest of us. Because local elections in England, in this borough, for instance, the councillors in this borough, they win by getting about 2,500 votes, right? 2,500 votes in a place that has half a million people, maybe 400,000 people, they rely on two and a half thousand votes. So they don't give a shit about the rest of us. They give a shit about what's good for them and getting them reelected. And they know that who are the folks that are going to be less interested in participating in elections? It's going to be the lower economic rung of society. But those people who have a vested interest in protecting their, their property and you know their well-being and their serenity they'll vote they'll vote so we'll just pony up to them so what you've got is effectively a ring around the most valuable properties in my borough that people aren't allowed to drive in anymore and as a consequence of that all of the traffic that would be weaving in and through the area now 
is being pushed down into very simple one or two roads that kind of go through the borough. And what this has caused is for those roads and the immediate surrounding areas to have an increase in air pollution that is making the environment here toxic. People are coughing more. People are wheezing more. You can feel the thickness in the air. You can taste the gas fumes in the air right outside my house, right outside my house. And because I don't live in a 1.3 million pound property, I'm not of interest to these counselors. And these scumbag motherfuckers refuse to engage with the people that pay their wages, namely us, because two and a half thousand residents don't make up the majority of the council tax that goes into the pockets of these councils and these counselors. It's the people that are living in these areas that are now being poisoned on purpose that pay them, that pay for them. And they have completely disregarded the safety and health, not only of those voting citizens, but of their children, of anybody that is disabled, that any, anybody is infirmed. And they've made it worse by putting up cycle lanes on those main roads that they've now pushed all the traffic to. So what does that do? It slows the movement of traffic in those areas to a halt. So now what do you have? Not only the increased level of traffic going through those concentrated areas, but gridlock. So now you've got cars that are sitting idle that are just pumping fumes, pumping fumes, pumping fumes into the local areas. And where I live, we've got about three schools within proximity to this road. We've got major shopping outlets right in proximity to this road. And we've got, a, we've got thousands of residential houses that are being affected by this. But they don't care. And how did they make this happen? Not through consultation and agreement with the wider community, but through emergency COVID measures. Why? Because a lot of these fucking morons on the council are cycling enthusiasts. So they want a cycle lane for themselves. And they happen to live in these areas of low traffic that they've created for themselves. And in some instances, the councillors have done this to just raise the property value of their houses so they can sell it and move out into the country or somewhere even better that's more protected, that's away from the pollution. Again, it's haves and have nots, right? So at all levels, they don't care about us. They're not interested in what's best for us. They're interested in what's best for them and those that line their pockets most easily. So for me, when I can't engage with the people that I'm paying to run my borough, well, this is corruption. This is ignorance and corruption because not only are they polluting the air and the effects of this, we will not know for years and years and years, but the, the lung capacity of children in these areas is being severely affected. The cognitive ability because of the putrid air quality it's going to be unknown for years and years and years. And then you get the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, who's an absolute piece of shit, by the way, 
coming out and saying he cares about the air quality in London. And that's why he's extending what's called the ultra low emission zone for cars and vehicles around London. He's extending this now to what's called the circular roads, the, the north and south circular roads, which encapsulate London. It's basically highways that go all the way around London. And then you can come into London from various points. But within that is everything that's, that's proper London, right? Well, all that's going to do is burden poor families who rely on their vehicles to get to work, to earn a living for their family, to have to incur an extra expense because now they're not going to be able to drive their vehicles. They're going to have to get new vehicles and they're not going to be able to afford it. And if they can't afford a vehicle, they're going to be required to pay public transport. Public transport costs go up about three or 4% a year, which is well above what any earnings increase you might experience. So it makes them travel poor. Now they can't do the job. Now they can't earn money for their family. Now they go into a cycle of unemployment, so on and so forth. So it's all of these other things that are happening, right? And at the same time, whilst making the claim that he cares, and we need to reduce our reliancy on vehicles, on gas vehicles. We need to cycle more. We need to walk more. These are the, these are the tenets of his proposal. He's caught driving an SUV four and a half miles to take his dog for a fucking walk in the park. They don't even care about hiding their contradictions to us anymore. Not at all. So my question is, why the fuck should we care what they think about us? My civility, if you want to call it that, that's out the window. I used to try to debate with these folks. I used to try to engage with these folks. But when you say something that they don't like, they just block you on Twitter, for instance. I've been blocked by four counselors in this borough who I pay their wages, right? I mean, we all collectively pay their wages. They're civil servants. But it should be illegal for a civil servant, a government minister, an MP, to block a resident on Twitter, to block a citizen on Twitter. That should be a violation, but they do it with impunity. So they don't have to one, hear any criticism or B, engage with people who disagree with their stupid fucking policies. So now anybody that is on the side of these folks, anybody who is aligned with these folks and these people themselves, civility is no longer part of the process. Now you're going to be called exactly what you are. You're going to be called a criminal. You're going to be called out for intentionally poisoning children. You're going to be called a fucking piece of shit when you act like a fucking piece of shit. And I'm going to call you out by name and I'm going to post this to social media every single time. I am going to be doing full episodes like we're doing now. I'm going to be doing snippets and clips about local issues, about you know more broader issues and things like that. And I'm going to be posting them on a regular basis. So we'll see what happens with that. But the point is, the time for civility is over. Because there couldn't be a more obvious example of how these people don't give the slightest fuck what you think, what your concerns are, what your health is, what your mental well-being is about. They give it all the talk in the world, but they have nothing in terms of concrete action that benefit the wider community. They are about themselves. They are about the constituents that matter to them. And those are the ones with money. Those are their colleagues. Those are their 
friends and associates. And this goes all the way up the ladder, all the way up the ladder. So stop being nice to these pricks. They don't deserve anything. You already pay for them to be in the position they're in. So don't be nice to them anymore. Hit them, hit them hard. Not physically, obviously. I'm not promoting violence for anybody that thinks, you know, that's where I was going with it. You need to tear these people apart with their ideas. Show them how bad their ideas are. And if they have some self-proclaimed right to ignore you, this indignation that they think they can, you know, that they can show towards the people that actually run these boroughs, then handle it accordingly. And if they block you, you'll find another way in. But enough's enough. Enough's enough. Because all the things that I've talked about on the show today result in one thing, a worse situation for the average person. COVID restrictions are bad for the average person. Mandating vaccines and vaccine passports are bad for the average person. Having a government that can make such ill-advised decisions like leaving its own citizens in a war zone, that's bad for the average person, right? It's not these politicians' children that are over there. It's NGOs, it's charity workers, it's frontline service people. And they're just being left to their own devices. And now they're being killed. And we've got people that can't even figure out how to keep our, clean, our roads clean and our air clean. They're not worth a moment of your time except to criticize them for all of the mistakes that they make. If they do something good, recognize it. But it's so few and far between that it means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. So, civility's out the window. It's time to start calling people out. It's time to start calling out the absurdity and the criminality that we're seeing on a daily basis that is ruining lives. We're talking about, oh, well, we can't get all the Afghans out of Afghanistan. Why are we even talking about getting Afghans out of Afghanistan if we haven't got all of our own citizens out of Afghanistan? And now I know I'm jumping all over the place, but the priority of evacuation for Afghanistan should be this foreign nationals, citizens of this country should be prioritized as number one by a long way over anybody else. Second, anybody that is affiliated with a British company who has collaborated with British companies, military or NGOs over the past 20 years should be priority too, because they're going to be looked at as, um, as uh, apostates, basically, you know, defectors traitors and they'll be strung up and they'll be murdered so they should be number two once we've got all of those out then we need to look at afghan women and children and only after we've done the first two should we even be thinking about number three okay and if we can get number three done which now is an absolute impossibility only then should we be thinking about afghan men and getting them out of there 
It's a pretty simple exit plan. But yet you've got people in leadership positions saying, let's, let's, let's wait and see what this Taliban's all about. Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. So for me, as I've said, civility is done. It's one of the things that's prompt, prompted me to uh, restart the podcast because we can't have this anymore. We can't have this anymore. And I don't want to run for politics. One, this probably wouldn't get elected. Two, doesn't pay enough. So, you know, take your civil service shit and, uh, you know, forget all that. I'm not interested. What I am interested in is having a forum like this where we can bring guests on like we used to, where I can talk to you guys without any filter to tell you what's actually going on, what I actually think, and what I think we should be doing about things. Because the things I'm saying, I'm not hearing from anybody else. There's versions of it and there's snippets of it and things like this, but it's never really long formed out. So I'm going to be coming back regularly and I'm going to be saying names on here and I'm going to be saying names of people who are going to get really angry at me. And I'm going to be calling out people who are in much more powerful positions than me. But it absolutely has to be done because they are, they are collapsing our economy. They're collapsing our society. And whilst doing that, they're ruining the fabric of our society by focusing on things that don't matter and not focusing on the things that do matter. They can't organize a piss up in a pub and we're entrusting them to handle things like Afghanistan or things like climate change. There is no interest in solving these things. There's only an interest in profit, control, and compliancy. That's it. So I don't know where we go from here. It's been a long time since I've ended a show, but I think we've probably been going long enough. So I'm going to sign off for episode 146, but I'm really happy to be back. I don't know if I was in the flow. I probably rambled too much, but uh, again, we'll, uh, we'll figure it out. We'll get better as we go and, uh, and improve every show. But I'm, I am back. I am going to be doing this on a regular basis. I am going to make it a non-negotiable part of my week to at least get on here for 45 minutes to an hour and, and hit the topics the way I want to hit them. Hit them with the with the verve and with the conviction that I want to hit them. And uh, yeah, if you thought we were saying the quiet part loud before, just wait, because my level of frustration has grown to a boiling point, which is why I couldn't not do this show today. And even, even the temperature I feel in here, I think I've, I think I've kept the lid on it a little bit uh, more than I even I intended to or, or expected to, but we'll be back. We're, we're going to be doing this regular. I hope you'll join us. I hope you'll let us know what you think. Um, you can get us on Twitter. You can, you can follow us on YouTube. The videos will be going up on YouTube, um, SoundCloud and Apple and, you know, all those good places, Spotify, whatever. Um, but I just wanted to thank you for listening. And thank you for listening whilst we've been away because I've been checking the stats and actually they've still been getting engagement, the episodes previous, um, which is, which is really positive. So um, I hope you'll come back and join us again. And, uh, and, and yeah, I hope we can do right by the audience and, and be more consistent, be a more consistent presence and, uh, 
hopefully help untangle some of this chaos that we're living through because 99% of it is noise, distractions, and inconsequential to the overall material fabric of our society and how we get to the best version of what we can possibly be. They don't want that. They don't want us unified. They don't want us consolidated. They want us separated. They want us divided. And the, the longer we waste time on these news outlets and on these social media outlets and listening to our politicians feed us all this nonsense, the longer we'll just be in this cycle of chaos where we can never find a joining point. We can never find a cohesive middle ground where we can build some level of understanding from and get ourselves out of this place of corrupt politicians and corrupt businessmen and corrupt tech giants and you know what have you that are just doing this for their own and using us as their playthings to conduct their own business. Enough's enough. So uh, we'll be back next week to pick it up and who knows what the situation will be with COVID, who knows what the situation will be with Afghanistan, but I can almost hazard a guess that it won't be better. It will only be worse because they're not, they're not interested in improving things for us. They're interested in improving things for themselves. So whilst we're being poisoned, whilst we're taking experimental drugs, whilst we're having our liberties infringed upon, whilst our brothers and sisters are being blown to smithereens in a war zone that we had nothing to do with creating, they're collecting checks, they're consolidating power, they're increasing their revenue, they're increasing their wealth, and they're separating themselves from us. And if they want to be separated from us, then we should go ahead and cut the umbilical cord and let them be separate from us because it's not them that hold this society together. It's us. And we just need to get back to a place where we recognize who is actually in charge here and start to conduct ourselves accordingly as a cohesive society that relies on strength in numbers to defeat tyranny, corruption, and brutality. And that's what we're facing at the moment. So we need to come together to be able to do that. And I hope we can. I think we can. If we get our heads out of our ass, pull our heads out of the sand and actually focus on what's going on, I think we could get there. So that's it for me for now. Episode 146 in the bag. I'm really happy to be back. Uh, it's cathartic, if nothing else. Um, but it's, it's good to be back. And I look forward to doing it again very, very soon. And I hope you guys will come and join us. So my name's Daryl. I'm the host of this thing. You've been listening to the Quiet Part Loud podcast. And uh, until next time, guys, all the best. <laughs>